Hello and welcome to Eremus Soccer. So the Women's World Cup has now concluded. Um, we followed England's journey all the way to the final, saw some real quality, and uh, we have a very special guest on this tournament, a man who played a very significant part in the tournament. Um, I believe a great soccer mind, Mr. Randy Waldrum, coach of the Nigeria women's national team and also coach of uh, the University of Pittsburgh women's soccer. Randy, um, thank you very much for joining us here. Well, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and I'm I'm not going to say you stressed out the England fans, <laughs> but I had a full head of hair when England <laughs> beat China 6-1, and uh, you've done this to me. Uh, uh, well, I, I'm sorry. I, I wish I could have done it a, a, a step farther, Stuart, but, uh, <laughs> you know, that's the, that's the way it goes. Yeah, I, I, I think, uh, I think uh, the England fans uh, forgive me now. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. everybody's very, very impressed. Um, yeah. And I, I've been impressed with you for a long time. I remember, I don't remember the exact year, but you were the opening... Uh, the opening night at one of the NSCAA, now USC, conventions. And right. I think you were the Notre Dame women's coach back then. And I was very impressed with one of your sessions. It was on possession. And I've yeah. kind of followed you from afar all along. And uh, I thought it was really impressive that you took the Nigeria job on because I was in college uh, soccer for 16 years. And I, I believe there's people in there who think that they couldn't possibly do any more than they're already doing. And I... I I think every now and again, somebody reminds us we can do more with life, you know, and for me to be 5-0 and in the ACC as you are now, phenomenal start, to be doing such a successful job at the top end of the college game and to be able to um, put together what I believe, it's not an exaggeration to say, is a historic World Cup campaign in your yeah. summer off. I, th I think it's just a great <laughs> thing. Um, but I think listening to this, college coaches, myself, people I work with, people I'm friends with, it seems like a high percentage of college coaches have kind of the belief, you know, I could do better if my circumstances were better. And I think what I learned over my time in college is the the more you maximize the hand you have instead of talking about what you wish it looked like, the more success you're going to have. And the, um, the tournament preparation for you, I mean, A, the draw, you've got the Olympic gold medalists Canada, and you've got the host nation, Australia, and you've got a excited debutant in Ireland, who before the tournament, people probably saw you in Ireland not that far apart. Um, you've got every excuse to not go through and, you know, talk away why it was a tough draw. And then right. you've got a uh, three-week preparation camp planned in Nigeria, which a month before the tournament turns into a 10-day camp. So I can only imagine the balance of, okay, we need to prepare for this, 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 and this for the World Cup. And then a month before, they take, you know, essentially 50% of your preparation away or more. Um, what did the process look like, go from like, you've got your, your plan, um, you find out we now have only 10 days. How did you sort of streamline your preparations and decide what you needed to work on and not needed to work on and frankly emotionally just adjust and go on after yeah. that major preparation blow. Yeah. You know, it was a honestly it, it, as a coach, I'll have to be very honest and tell you it was a really, really stressful and a really difficult time because, you know, I had been preparing for what we were going to be doing in our preparation for the World Cup ever since we qualified way back, you know, in, in AFCON. 
Um, yeah. So, I've, you know, I've known for a long time. So I've, I've been preparing and Lauren Gregg, my assistant, was helping me. And, and, and we were really once the draw came out, we were analyzing the teams and, and trying to uh, get preparations ready for this camp. Um, and, and to find out, you know, then all of a sudden it's we're not having five weeks of camp, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're going to get 10 days and we're just going to go straight to Australia and and convene there. Uh, it really drastically changed my plans. I mean, obviously, a lot of things I had planned, you know, preparation wise were thrown out the window. So what I really did as a coach is um, taking a look at the group. And you're right. It was a really difficult group. And I think a lot of people don't realize, but I think Canada were seventh in the world. I think Australia will rank 10th in the world and, and even Ireland were 21st in the world. And if anybody watched Ireland play the U S you know, a month or so before the world cup, they saw a really good side uh, against the U S team. So, you know, we come in, I think we're ranked 40th, you know, in the world and not that rankings mean everything, but at least it gives you an idea of the quality of the group. I think most people called it the group of death and I would agree with that. Um, but I knew, I knew going in, we didn't have the time to prepare. So I knew we weren't going to have a lot of the ball. I, I just knew that we had played Canada up in Canada back in February. Um, you know, so I, I obviously know their quality. I know a lot of their players so well, um, you know, coming from our region. Um, so I knew we weren't going to have the ball a lot. So what we, what I decided to do is um, take the time and just focus those 10 days on Canada, you, you know, discreetly behind the scenes. Uh, I was looking at Australia and Ireland, obviously, but with the team, we just focused everything we did. Those 10 days was based on Canada. And I knew that we weren't going to have the ball much. So what I focused on was putting together a really good tight defensive block and uh, deciding where we wanted that block to, to drop to, you know, where was our line of confrontation and ironically, we, we really wanted to drop it to the top of the circle. But if you watch the game, we were more at the bottom of the circle, I think, uh, as that game went on. But, um, you know, we really worked hard on a, a good defensive block. And then basically the, the only other phase is we worked on counterattacking out of that block because we just knew we didn't have the time to get an attacking build up game model when we have the ball. Here's how we want to play and here's how we're going to possess it. And I just knew we weren't going to have time to put that in and I knew we also in in the group stage I knew we weren't going to get um, much of the ball which which we didn't in most of the game so it was really imperative that we got something out of Canada I, I think going in I felt like we had to get either three points or a point out of that game to realistically have a shot at getting out of the group because I felt like honestly going into it I felt like it was going to be very, very difficult to beat Australia. You know, they had done so well against England prior to the World Cup, um, you know, and then watching them beat France right before, you know, you know the World Cup started and uh, being the host nation, I, I just didn't think it was going to be very realistic to get something out of that match. So I knew we had to get something out of Canada. So we weren't forced to get something out of Australia and Ireland both to get through and, you know, fortunately, uh, our goalkeeper made a, a great save early in the second half on Sinclair that uh, allowed us to keep the the clean sheet and and get the point out of that game, which was was desperately needed. Yeah. Now, in terms of mindset, I think you could really give some good advice here because I always think a challenge in college is yeah. some players and even some staffs when you're a 
mid-major, when you're a lower college team, when you're an eight seed playing a one seed, I feel like there's kind of some games you go all out to win because your pride's on the line. Right. And personally, I always got the impression sometimes that staffs and players, there's some games it's okay to not win because right. you're ranked 160th in the RPI and you play a number eight. Right. You know, is there any kind of advice you'd give for preparation when you're the underdog? Like, because this is what this to beat Australia in Australia, there's no logic behind that. You flat out right. went and did something that most people right. thought you weren't going to do. Right. Yeah. No. I the best advice I could give is this. I think I think coaches have to really be um, realistic with what they have and and what the moment or what the challenge is. Right. Like you said, if you're a 160 RPI playing a a top 25 team, then you've got to be realistic that if you just go out and play the way you've always played and you you, you play your, your same system and you, you, you keep the game open, you've just got to understand that realistically you're, you're, you're probably going to get shredded in that situation. And, you know, good examples for us last year, we, we did this with Duke and Florida State last year with our team. We, we had gone to Carolina and and, and, and got opened up a little bit and, and, and just realized we're not as good as we are. We're not still quite ready for that yet. So we kind of went into one of these kind of defensive blocks with Duke on the road and actually lost one zero on our own goal. And we did the same with Florida state here at home, um, you know, really congested the the midfield area and, and put a tight block in and they really got frustrated and, and um, again, lost one zero, but, countered and hit the crossbar twice at the end of the game that could have got a result. So I think going into the Canada game, we just really realized that, you know, if we can get a point out of it, it's okay. You know, that's, that's what the goal was. And if you can be good and sound defensively, then, you know, you hope you get those one or two chances and you're able to convert on that. And we would have been foolish to just go open up and just, you know, and just play. Uh, We just weren't, we didn't have enough training time um and in preparation to just go go play open so my advice would be just real be realistic about your squad and and the challenge that's in front of you and sometimes sometimes it's okay you know to to have to play a different way to get a result yeah i think i'd like your take on this because i think there's an and I don't know if there's differences in the men's and the women's game, but the current era of men's college soccer, I feel like there's very much an art as a coach that you know, you know, like I'm 44 years old. I've watched a lot of soccer. I know that to get a result against insert school here, um, we're going to have to make some adjustments in how we play. But I do believe very often we're coaching a generation of kids who um, take such pride in what looks good in terms of the high press and the expansive possession, having more of the ball that to get yeah. them to approach a game with the same level of excitement with an right. open game plan isn't right. necessarily an automatic thing. You know, no. and I'm right to the point where I coached in Nisa, and we probably cut some kids, and their biggest hang-up was they didn't want to play any other way than the way they liked. Right. They weren't good enough to do that right. at our level, so ultimately right. it cost them their career. But as a coach, it's it's one thing to say – we're going to play in this way, but it's very much yeah. another thing to have your team excited about all the yeah. different game plans. Have you had experiences like that? No, I, I think you're exactly spot on there. And I think, I think to me, it's in the presentation, you know? So when, when you're used to playing a certain way, like 90% of the time here at Pitt, we, we're trying to be a possession-based team and, and and play attractive football and, and, and all of that. But I think it's, 
the same that we do here at Pitt and the same that we did in Nigeria, I think it's the way you present the the change in the way you're going to play, you know? So um, I think if you just walk in and as, as a coach and you say, well, we're going to have to change our, 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 uh, our, our shape, or we're going to have to change our formation or our, our style of play to get a result. Um, it almost implies then, well, you're not good enough, you know, if you play the other way. So I think it's, you got to be very careful in how you present the, 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 the differences. And what we did with Nigeria is I basically just presented it as, as since we haven't had enough time, you know, our, our camp got canceled in those three weeks and we haven't had enough time. So let's make sure that we're really, really solid defensively. And then I kept uh, letting them know if we can be really good and solid defensively in this block, we're clearly good enough when we have the ball to cause them problems. You know, so I, I tried to take a, what some might call a negative approach to our style of football to play a little bit more defensive. Uh, but I tried to, 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 play that out and lay it out in a way that because we didn't have time, you know, this is what we're going to have to do to make sure we don't open ourselves up and concede anything silly, but we'll be good enough. You know, we'll be good enough out of this defending when we win it, we'll be good enough to go forward and cause them problems. You know, they're, we're more athletic than them. We, we got, we got uh, better players up front than them. You know, all, all of those little things that you can try to build their confidence in, in letting them know that, yeah, we're changing a little bit, but we're doing it, you know, for a positive reason, as opposed yeah. to just saying, Hey, we're going to have to sit in for 90 minutes and hope we get a, a chance to counter, you know? So I, I think you're, I think a coach's presentation becomes vital when you have to adjust the way you play to an opponent. My personal opinion, what you're saying right now, um, if there's a D one coach, listen to this. I think what you're saying right now will be the key and tipping point for seasons for most of D one. I understand yeah. there is a portion of teams that are going to succeed. They have fantastic personnel, great yeah. history, you know, really confident groups, great senior leadership, and they're going to succeed. There's also right. some that are going to struggle, and the coach has a different challenge. But there's yeah. a lot of teams that if they really want to push themselves over the edge, it's right. going to be the art of approaching different challenges in different ways across the season and keeping your players excited and communicating yeah. it the right way. Because yeah. I'd do better if I had better players. Exactly. Can say that. Well, and I think that's one thing you you know this from your experience, but I don't I don't think we see enough of that in the college game. You know, I think you'll see it. It's it's you see it all the time in the international game. You know, teams are adapting and adjusting to the competition level. But uh, but I think you're right. I don't I don't think we see it a lot. You know, at the collegiate level or the, the or the youth the club level and and so forth. My personal opinion, and we'll go on a we'll get back on track after this, but yeah. um. I believe soccer is very strange in that there is almost a nobility to defeat if yeah. you play a certain way. Yeah. But for me, if you play a certain way and you knew all along that was going to get you beat at the college level, right. there is no nobility in that. You know, basketball no. teams don't say, well, the Warriors won, but they can only shoot threes. That's and right. if nobody says, oh, you know, the Chiefs win, but Mahomes can only throw. You know, they don't yeah. run like men. Right. But there's, there's this weird thing in soccer where, yeah, yeah. they won, but... Whereas to me, the beauty of it is there's all yeah. kinds of different ways to play. There's all kinds of different teams. Right. They're all right. doing different things and you figure out the challenge in front of you. Um, exactly. So on, what does happen a lot in college soccer is what you did next, because you go from a nil-nil draw against Canada. There's an emotional high, I'm sure. It's a great mm-hmm. result. I thought it was right. a great result. Um, right. I thought the, the gold medalists were going to win that group. 
Um, right. And then you play Australia, the home nation, who are right. stacked. Um, yeah. Sam Kerr may be the best player at the tournament. She may not be, but oh. she's up in that conversation. Um, right. They've got some wonderful wingers. They've got a very good goalkeeper. And yeah. what's that to get ready? Three days, four days? Yeah, yeah. Well, oh. it was interesting because what we did with that is, you know, I, I told you we wanted our defensive block against Canada to be at the top of the circle, although it ended up, you know, deeper than that. Um, but in against Australia, what I felt watching them play is they were so they, – they possessed the ball enough in the back just to get the ball forward quickly. You know, they had a lot of pace out wide and up top. And so they were a little bit more vertical in their play, I thought. And um, so we went back and, and, and watched our video of Canada and, and with our block dropping even deeper into that game, we said, now, now in this game against Australia, we do want the block deeper because we wanted to take the space behind our defense away. We didn't want them to be able to play over the top for, for Vines and uh, Rasso and, you know, those players, um, and Caitlin Ford and those guys, you know, we didn't want them getting behind us and get into this yeah. kind of long counter attacking game that they're fully capable of playing. So we even set a little deeper, um, you know, against Australia, th hoping that we, we, if we took that element away, that we'd force them to play a little bit more football in front of us. And I didn't think that's the way they wanted to play, you know, so that was the mindset going into the Australia game. Yeah. Now after the Australia game, yeah, I'm not gonna project what I think on you, but if I was you, yeah, like I'm like, wow, if we can beat Australia in Australia, yeah, what can't we do here? Like, yeah. was that a kind of a tipping point or a flip in how you approach the tournament? Did you turn from underdogs to favorites the island? Did you start to see yeah. a vision of going much further in the tournament than you thought beforehand? How how'd that feel? after you beat Australia and Australia. Yeah. You know, uh, I have to tell you real quick, a, a funny little side note story that happened every day. I had uh, an assistant coach, uh, Kyle Quigley, um, who's actually Irish, but he's coaching in Leeds in, in England right now. And he was, he was brought on kind of as our fitness coach. And it was the first time I met him at the world cup at the 10 day training camp. Like he, we'd never used him before. And we brought him in and I found out very quickly he was not only a good fitness coach, but he was a very good coach. So he and I pretty much did most everything uh, regarding training and preparation. Uh, and Lauren Gregg was back home helping us edit video and sending me, you know, um, all the video analysis and stuff that we needed. But um, Kyle and I would go every day in the morning, get up and go for a walk and just to clear our mind, think about training, think about preparation or, or game day, whatever. We, we Every morning we'd get up and take a walk. And I can remember almost every game, we're just going, gosh, we just hope we can keep it close. You know, we just we just <laughs> hope we're, we're competitive, you know. And then all of a sudden you get the result with with Canada, which was a good result for us. And you're feeling like, great, we, we, we at least got a result out of this difficult group. And then – all of a sudden we've beaten Australia and then you're right. We start to go, wait a minute, we can, we can win this group now, you know? And, um, you know, uh, you could see the confidence start to build in the players too. You know, they, they, they really started to grow into the tournament. Um, so I think, you know, we, the approach with Ireland was we felt like we could get a, a win and a result, but, uh 
we also wanted to be careful not to lose a match because Australia and Canada were playing at the same time. Yeah. Depending on the outcome of that game, you know, did we, three points we knew we would win the group. Uh, a point we knew we would get in regardless of that result. So you have to be a little bit careful too. You, you can't go crazy in that match trying to just, you know, go for it all to get the win. And I think, honestly, the first half of that Ireland match, I think our players were a little bit nervy because they were so close to accomplishing what we wanted in getting out of the group. And I thought Ireland really the first half kind of took it, took it to us. Um, we weren't great in the first half. Then I thought the second half, we, you know, we calmed down and we were much better and, you know, hit the crossbar in the second half, had a good, a couple of good looks to, to maybe win it. But, um, but, but yeah, I think we thought we could, we'd have a chance that we make maybe could make a, a little decent run, even getting out of the group. Um, but even in that last match, it was, you know, it was a little nervy because you wanted to make sure you got something out of it. Now the last 15 minutes or so we, we had heard, you know, the score of the other game. And so we knew as long as we didn't lose by a couple of goals, you know, we were, were safe. And I think it was two Oh, at the time, uh, you know, to Australia over Canada and uh, so we, we were like, okay, we can we can relax a little bit here and and, and go for it here in the last fifteen minutes. And of course, they end up winning at four zero. So we did we you as a did you as a coach? Because that's interesting for people listening who don't know. You were tying Ireland, and if Canada won, I think you might have been out. Um, well, if Canada, yeah, it was it would have gone down to to goal differential. Yeah. had Canada won, yeah. So then you find out Canada's losing. Right. Does that change your strategy or just like did, did, did the players on the field find out? Do you know on the bench? Like, how does that work? Yeah, no, I, I don't. It was the games were going on simultaneously, so we couldn't get the message out to the players because it was in the second half before they we knew it was at least two because we, we needed the two goal cushion, um, you know, to um, in case of a tiebreaker, you know, uh, if Canada were winning. So we, we needed a two goal cushion. When we heard that, we obviously from the sidelines the best we could, we tried to encourage the players to get forward more, you know, to attack more because then we knew we could go for it at the end. But it was so difficult because those crowds were so large, you know, on the field, the players can't hear you, you know, at all. So we're trying to get the message out to the players close to us, you know, to go for it. You know, uh, you, you know, it, it, it's OK. We can get forward like it's the, the, the other games going the way we want. But it's very difficult to, you know, to get that out and um, to your entire team. But we did the best we could trying to to push that last 15 minutes to get the result once we heard that score. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think what's a great lesson for coaches, because there's a lot of anxiety and fear this time of year after the novelty of preseason wears off, is just because you don't think logically now your right. team make the NCAA tournament, go on a playoff run, become ranked, doesn't mean it can't happen. Right. right, I know time and again. I, I worked at Bates. I worked at the Michigan Stars in Nisa. Right. The end result, you know, four to six weeks before it happened, did I think it was going to happen? Especially when we won the Nisa with Michigan, probably not. Right. Right. And then people rewrite history after the fact a little bit. But you have Absolutely. to like, you can't just look at what's around you and be super logical and be like, oh, well, we can't win because because I think right. you're like you you're pushing your players down without even realizing it with that kind of energy. You have to have an open mind and imagination to things that could happen, but yeah. you don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. No. I and mean, like I said, I think our players just kind of grew into that belief as well, you know, and the yeah. staff did too, you know, I, I think it's, and we know we've all been in those crazy football matches where on a day, anything can happen, you know, and, 
And uh, I think they just grew in confidence. And, and and quite honestly, after we lost to England, I think it was a, a, extremely disappointing to the players. Obviously, they were they were crushed because I, I think going into it, we came into England, even though they're the European champions, you know, we came into it full of confidence. And um, uh, that one, that one honestly was a, an interesting match because we watched them play, as you did, China, the, you know, the match before the 6-1 drubbing and we watched China and China was in a, if you look at them just structurally, you know, on the screen, they were in a really good low defensive block, you know, much what we had been doing in, in our group play. And uh, now I think there's a difference of being in a defensive block. If you just kind of stand in your space and don't defend it when it comes in your area. And I think China didn't do much active defending when it came in the block and, and England just shredded it. Right. They, they just tore them up through the block. Uh and and I think our block is was much more active and dynamic than than China's by by every stretch. But having said that, when I watched that match, I said, you know what? Obviously, Lauren James is is a special player. So we knew we had to come up with a plan to minimize her. And then the other thing I thought with England, I, I said in in that in that match, those three backs just dictated play all day long. You know, they they set everything in, in their play which made the two holding midfielders become very vital in that game too. So kind of that back five just easily all day long set play for England. So I kind of, I went to Kyle and I said, look, I am going to change. We're not, we're not going to sit in a block. And I said, let's, let's go press those three backs. Don't give them time to be on the ball all day, you know, getting to do what they wanted to do. Cause I think a lot of people would say, well, you got Lucy bronze and daily outside. How are you going to cope and deal with that? And for me, it was more, can we take the players out of the game that really set up how they want to play? And I said, so let's press those three backs. And I said, with our two attacking mids, let's just man mark their two holding mids. And I said, and then let's put Halamatu Iendi on, on James. Don't let her get a touch of the ball. And then with our outside backs, it it was a, a I was a little concerned because it was a lot of space to cover. But we said to our outside backs, if the ball came in build up to their wide players to bronze and to daily, then you're going to have to deal. You know, you're going to have to come out and deal with that player. Um, so that was my only concern was was that space to come from left back, for example, for Ashley Plumter to come all the way out onto bronze. Was that gap going to be too big? You know, could she? Yeah. If bronze if bronze decided to come deeper to get the ball off the three bags could actually deal with that you know if, if bronze stayed higher then i wasn't so worried because it, the gap wouldn't be too big but the plan can i ask what, you a question on the england yeah. scouts because sure. they followed all six games so there's some listeners who are gonna want to yeah. know what you thought of this so the first yeah. two games england played four three three with him yeah. out wide right Looked very vulnerable on the counter on both games even hiding yeah. gave them massive yeah. problems yeah. um yeah. And then the three-five-two was kind of solely for China. Um, right. It was Hemp and Russo, which I believe was out of position for Hemp. Um, yeah. yeah. You convinced that England were going three-five-two again? Was there any doubt of, as to what formation and lineup? Yeah, there was only a small, <clears throat> a small bit of doubt. I, I just felt like they played. I, and I agree with you totally. They they struggled a little bit in the first two matches and they did look open, you know, playing that way, the first two matches. So I felt like as a coach, I said, I don't think there's going to be any way in the world. She's going to change. They played ever so well against China. Uh, it seemed to flow. I said, I just, 
I don't see her. I don't see her changing, you know, so we, we felt pretty strongly she was going to stay with that formation. Um, and that's the, that's, yeah, that's the formation we, we prepared for. Uh, now I think Kyle and I, um, had planned, you know, uh, uh, if they went back to the, the original formation, we had planned how we were going to deal with that one as well. Yeah. Um, you know, we discussed that briefly with the players. Um, but we, I think we felt strongly she was going to stay in that formation, which she what's, did. When you're preparing for a three, five, two, what's uh-huh. your biggest concern about it? Or is it purely personnel related? And what's your biggest sort of confidence that you can exploit about it? Well, I think, you know, you know, I think the system itself, obviously it, 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 it overloads the midfield. So midfield, the control of midfield is always a concern when you play, especially when you play in three in midfield against five, uh, you know, so how you're going to cope with those wide areas is, is always a concern. Um, for me personally, um, you know, I'm more of a four back, you know, person than I am a, a three. Um, it, it's just personal preference, but, I do think sometimes, you know, if, if in a three-five-two, if teams can attack your system, then you can you can get pinned in at times. You know, dropping your wide wide players into a back five, so to speak. Now we knew we weren't going to have the possession against England to pin them in, but I felt like with their three backs, our pace up front, I felt was better than their three backs, and I felt like our athleticism that we could cause them some problems, especially countering into these wide areas, you know, on them. Um, so I felt good about how we could offset what they did well. And I, I kind of thought they might think we were going to sit in a block again. And interesting enough, after the match, I, of course, Rachel Daly, I drafted when I was with the Houston dash. So Rachel, and I, you know, I know her. Yeah, so I know her really well. And, and, you know, after the match, we got a chance to catch up and, you know, congratulate her, obviously, for moving on. And, and um, but she even made the comment like, man, you guys, we weren't prepared for you guys. Like we, we, we prepared all week, you know, before the match for you guys to be in a, in a block. Like we weren't prepared for the kind of pressure that you put on us. And, and um, so I, I thought our tactics, I, honestly, I thought we got it right in our tactics in all of our matches, to be honest with you. You know, it's a good, you know, this as a coach, sometimes you get your tactics wrong. You know, you come in and you think you have it right. And then you get in the game and you, now, now you realize it's, it's, I got that wrong, you know? Um, but as a coach, it's really rewarding when you, when you put your plan in place, the players buy in and, and they adapt to, you know, whatever the, the, those tactics are. And, and I, I do think, I think we played the way we absolutely had to play to get out of our group. Uh, and then I think the, we played the way we absolutely had to play to get the best opportunity to get past England, you know, and, and, and move forward. So um, that part, I think we, we got right. Like I said, I, I told you a little bit earlier before we started the one area that I thought we um, weren't prepared enough for was the man up advantage at the end when, when James got the ejection um the 10 days of preparation just didn't really give us enough time to prepare how to cope with man up or man down situation. Um, even though we discussed those things in classroom settings, uh, in meetings, we didn't have the time on the field to really go through it. And I thought we were much better 
against England's 11 than we were against their 10. Uh, ironically, I know that sounds strange, but I think coaches that, that have been there understand that, you know, what I'm saying there. Yeah. Um, you might not want to share this, and if you don't, that's fine. But for the yeah. education of the listeners, is there any particular drill you remember running that you thought was beneficial in the England prep to get ready for the game and you saw it play out on the field? Yeah, I, I think we we worked of uh, we worked a little bit on um, getting the ball between their lines. We we did we did we did some sessions, a little bit of work with us, um, you know, dropping players into in in between the lines to get it. You know, getting strikers to come back in. You know, trying to stretch with a couple of the strikers and getting a, a third striker to come back for the ball. Because we felt like we, uh, watching England play, we felt like they dropped fairly quickly with their three backs when they they lost the ball. So we thought we could exploit uh, in transition, maybe getting a, a a ball in between the gap between their back line and and their midfield line. Mm-hmm. So I thought I thought that that worked well for us, especially uh, in the way we played. Um, so you know, and then really other than that. What we did is the, the other the other training that we did for it was more just the tactical walkthroughs where we did repetitions of, um, you know, for lack of a better word, I would I would take I would put us in our eleven v eleven, and I would play balls in different areas. I, I'm you know I'd say we're going to play this one ball all the way through till it either goes out of bounds or there's a shot or whatever. And then we'll regroup. We'll talk about what went right, what went wrong, and then we'll play another ball and do it. So we did a lot of rep work there where I would play the ball back, for example, uh, to to the team that was simulating England, to their three backs, and let them get the ball with time, you know. And then we would work on our press with our, our front runners pressing that ball. And then we would work with uh, our outside backs of, Okay, this is how we're going to deal with bronze or daily if they come deeper to get the ball. And if they're higher, this is how we'll deal with them. And then we we worked a lot with our midfield. Uh, really, it, it's I can't remember, Stuart, the last time in recent years that I've gone to man marking uh, specifically, you know, because everything is so much zonal now all over the field and you're just trying to condense space and that kind of thing. But we really spent a lot of time with our midfield three in that kind of a setup, getting them to eliminate the the two holding midfield players and then working to to follow the player that was simulating James in there. So those two things that we did, I think, really got us prepared for England. Now, particularly with Ayinde, and this goes back to the system, um, there is an art to conveying that to a player because when you man mark, you know, there is – there's that psychological tactic now of the player who doesn't want to be man marked tries to yeah. run their mouth a bit. Oh, you they yeah. they don't think you're good. Hey, eh? you're just here to follow me around like a guard dog. You know you can't play. And right. there's a lot of mind games that goes on with man marking, trying to distract from yeah. the task. And you right. have a coach has to get a player uh, excited about a less glamorous role that yeah. everybody wants to be the number ten nowadays, right? That's right. Yeah, like make them understand that. Hey, honestly, if you do this, right. Like we could win this game, and if yeah. you don't, like we might play well yeah. and lose. Um, yeah. Talk me through the presentation of that to a India, or is this a player that was just like, "Give me a job yeah. and I'll do it"? Yeah, no. What we told her is she's a really first of all, she's a really 
uh, special player on the ball. She's her decision making is brilliant. She's calm. She's composed, even when pressure's all around her. So what we tried to convince not only her of doing, but 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 Tony Payne and and Christy Uchibi, those were our three midfield players. We we really tried to convince them of. We felt like we we tr- we tried to convince them that we could win the ball off those players and they would be the key to now initiate initiating our counters and our attack. So we tried to take the defensive part and really get them thinking about it as more of, of a, an offensive mindset of going, yeah, like, we do this. Yeah, like men mark them because they're not quick enough. They're not athletic enough. We're more athletic than them. And when we, when you now win the ball, now we've got the opportunity to counter them quick because they, they'll, their shape will, you know, they'll be out of shape. So we had to sell them a little bit, you know, on that idea, not just, Hey, the whole 90 minutes, you're just going to follow this player, you know? So we had to, we had to kind of give them a why and we had to encourage them that this was, that this defending piece was going to be key to us in our attacking piece. That's, that's really the way we sold it. Yeah. And I think if you're a coach going across your season, you can't just make it an exercise and you say something and get upset about it not happening. Right. Like, are you presenting it? in an exciting yeah. way are you yeah. making it interesting to the player and valuable and are you painting the picture of yes this is defending but when yeah. we've won this this is yeah. what's coming um, yeah. and what we and what we did with that story too is we did man mark but in selling them on it from from an attacking reason and starting counters we gave them the freedom once we won it you know, to, to get forward, you know, like they, they weren't worried about man marking then we had the ball, go ahead and get forward. And then, you know, once we've lost it, now you've just got to regroup and recover and find the players. So it, it, you're absolutely right. It, it goes back to like we discussed earlier, it all, you know, it all goes back to your presentation of, of yeah. how you, how you present it. Um, because I think oftentimes you can send the wrong message if you don't present it the right way. Yeah. Now, um, it's interesting you just said about more athletic than they are because I'm an England fan. Yeah. But especially in this game, mm-hmm. and frankly in the Denmark game too and in the Haiti game for me, maybe yeah. not the China game, the the big, strong, powerful England card was overplayed mm-hmm. because right. when England played China and Hemp and Russo were up front, they would ping balls into the corners, even from the outside centre-backs. Yeah. Hemp and Russo would just look like prime Fernando Torres. They'd be in behind, dragging people out of position. England looked unbelievable. And yes, James had a good game, but I believe half the reason was these back four of China were just terrified of Hemp and Russo. And then you got Bronze and Daly charging forward. Fair enough, it looked great that day. But in the first 15 minutes, if anyone watching this game back, England tried that exact tactic again. And not really. You know, the centre-back number three turned Hemp away. Um, Russo got turned away twice, I think, inside the first 17 minutes. I actually see no physical advantages for England on this field. And they're playing in a way that they, it's interesting what you said about Daly, that they were expecting you in a block. I thought England played in a way that they thought they had some physical advantages and they were trying to exploit them. And I just didn't see it. Yeah. Yeah. I I think when you get on the field, it's it's, it's interesting because uh, when you get on the field and you actually see the players, uh, you really, you know, firsthand and not not just on television, but seeing it firsthand, you can really start to see those 
physical differences in teams. You know, mm-hmm. when we watched Australia uh, firsthand, they just were really, really fast in those wide areas and up front. I mean, it, the speed was scary. Um, when we watched England, I, I thought they were good. And I think England is a is an athletic team um, in some places on the field. Uh, and I think they have a good blend of some athletic players uh, along with some really intelligent soccer players too. You know, I, I quite frankly like Russo and him a lot. I, I, I thought those players uh, were really good in the World Cup. But I, um, but seeing our team, we felt going in that we were something different than they had seen. We, I just felt we were more physical, more athletic, uh, in it, in really in pretty much every position. I thought, I thought we were. We were more athletic uh, in watching their team firsthand, and then uh, our team. You know, so I that's that's why I felt good about going to press them a little bit more instead of, you know, instead of sitting in a block. I just I didn't a I didn't think they would be prepared for that, but b I just felt like athletically we could cause them some problems that that none of the teams maybe Haiti a little bit, but through and through I don't think even Haiti has had our athleticism from top to bottom in their 11. They oh, had no, it with, oh, yeah. they had it with, with several of their key players. Demone, she was Demone, for sure. a lot of trouble. Right. Right. And, um, uh, the girl up front, Judy, Judy, which, whatever her name was up front, you know, they, those two to me were athletic and could cause problems to England. But, um, I just felt like pretty much every position we were athletically superior, uh, yeah. to them. And, and I think it held true. I mean, I, the hard part, honestly, the hardest part of the match is after the game, you know, Kyle and I were talking and we were, obviously we were, on the one hand, you're really proud and pleased of your team with the performance. I mean, we exceeded expectations and they're the European champions and we took them all the way to the brink and could have won the game and probably arguably should have won the game, especially having about 30 minutes of a man advantage. But you know, so on the one hand, you're, you're proud of the achievements and getting out of that group and everything that you've done. And on the other hand, you're saying to yourself, when are you ever going to have a better chance to beat England, you know, than we did today? You know, you've got you got them on the ropes. You've hit the post a couple of times. You've you, you're, you're probably arguably outplaying them in the 90 minutes. And, and yet you've also got a man advantage. I mean, the scenario was painted really well for us to get a result and we didn't so it's disappointing from that standpoint because i would have liked to have seen how much farther we could have gone uh but then on the other hand i have to sit back and go you know wait a minute randy it's it you know you, we achieved so much so it's it's um so i got a, a question i got yeah. a question for you and you're allowed to plead the fifth okay that game again and you get to make one change or move that you didn't make is there one you would you would make if you got a redo um yeah there actually might have been a couple of moves i i didn't make we got some miscommunication from our bench and this goes back to um some of the some of the problems working in nigeria and and, and the way some certain things are handled but we got some misinformation about tony Payne uh and an injury and needing to get her off and we took her off and when we got her off she's like looking at us like why why am i off and i said because of this injury she goes i'm fine you know so um 
that one would be one uh, obviously um, the, the the bench and I can share these stories at a later time but uh, but the bench areas is something's got to really get cleaned up in in Nigeria um, yeah. that that's one move because you know we'd already Halamatu had to come off and and when she came off I, I read a lot of the press in Nigeria and a lot of people questioned why we took Allende off. And, but that was obviously after James had been ejected. But Allende needed to come off. She had an injury. Uh, so we had no choice of that one. And then probably in the penalties, um, I would have I would have put them in a different order, maybe had a different shooter. Um, yeah. I was wor- I was worried about Alozi's penalty, even though when we practiced them all, you know, week before um, the knockout stage game, as we were practicing penalties, she – she made everything she hit, you know, but for me, you know, she, she hit, hit, always hits them with her left foot. She's right footed. Uh, she always just hits for power. So I was always concerned that, you know, she was going to do what she actually did and hit it over the crossbar. So I'd, I'd probably made that change. Now, having said that, I don't blame her at all. I mean, she played great, you know, she was great for us uh, all through the tournament and you know how penalties are. I mean, you, you've got a set of people that, you practice and and you're they're ready you're ready for them to take penalties in the in the game and then you get to that point in the game and their eyes wide open and then there's always one or two that goes no I don't want it now you know yeah, so, so now I got I, one question there because yeah. I I guess I don't know how penalties are at the top level yeah. I know how I do yeah. them but you hear yeah. stories that Rafa Benitez wins shootouts and doesn't even practice penalties and yeah. just picks on good feel and then right. you hear teams that have took a hundred penalties and. They've got analysts doing the percentages of the opponent. So like, yeah. what does yeah. the preparation yeah. of a penalty shootout look like? Like after yeah, you know, blows. Yeah, no, we, you know, we tracked. I mean, we we took penalties. We actually started before the Ireland game, uh, hitting some penalties, um, you know, to, to give us a little bit more time to prepare. And of course, we tracked the players that hit and you know and misses and 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 makes and and um just trying to get a feel for the players that were comfortable with doing it. How but many, how many a day, Randy? And how many players? We were, we were probably hitting uh, each, each, each player that we were using. Cause some of the players it's like right away was like, no, I, I would never want to take a penalty. So they would go off and do, do work at the end of training on what they wanted to work on. So we probably had a handful of maybe 12 players, 15 players maybe on days that would hit, we'd break them up on both ends and send some coaches down on both ends to track and, and watch. And so I'd say each player were hitting three or four a day, maybe, you know, not, not overly extensive uh, because it's uh, we knew we had several days to do it, you know, so we weren't trying to get it all done in one day. Um, but we were hitting, yeah, you know, three, four, five, five penalties a day up, up to that point and, and, and tracking it. Um I've done these enough to know too that oftentimes it's just a feel, you know, I mean, I can, I can go back and tell you a story when we won our first national championship at Notre Dame. uh, My son was our assistant there and we'd done penalties, you know, all the way up through the NCAA tournament, you know, to be prepared for it in case we needed. And we're playing UCLA for the national championship. And we had all this data and one of the things, a lot of people might not even know this story, but one of the things we had found is our third string goalkeeper. If I was looking at data, she was the best in making saves. So when we get down to overtime against UCLA, 
or we're, we're getting, I think it was, it was getting, we we're getting ready to go to overtime. There were maybe five or six minutes left in regulation and the coaching staff, we start saying like, if this gets to overtime and penalties, are we going to take our keeper out and put the third keeper in because she's been the best at penalties. Now, mind you, she hadn't played any minutes in any, any games. Um, we also had one of the shooters that it, um, was really consistent in making her penalties, but she hadn't played any minutes in any of the, any of the NCAA games all the way up through to the final. So fortunately, I don't know if the soccer gods were watching over me, so I didn't have to make a decision or not, but UCLA got a penalty with about five minutes left in regulation. And our, our goalkeeper that was a starting keeper made a great save, pulled it, pulled it out of the upper 90. So then we just turned and said, no, then. That we'll would have been a big move if you didn't. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We weren't going to take her out then and put the other one in. So that but made that's that being decision. done in the Men's World Cup, right? I remember they, the yeah. Netherlands did that. Yeah, had it absolutely. Keeper. Exactly. And then when we got to the, the penalty kicks, the 10 people we had for shooting in the order we had them, two players right away goes, I don't want it. You know, they, they, they backed out of it. And, and, and the, the girl that um, hadn't played any minutes, but she was really good. She's tugging on my shirt, you know, like coach, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. And as a coach, I'm in my mind, I'm going, I didn't say it to her, but in my mind, I'm going, she hasn't played any minutes in this. And like I'm looking to see who else I can put in that spot instead of her. And then finally it was just like, all right, Sarah, go. And of course she nailed it. And, you know, it was great. It was great for her, but I don't know that there's a real, I mean, whether you never practice and you do it off your gut and maybe he's right. I, I don't know. Cause yeah. I just, you can't fabricate, you can't fabricate the pressure in practice. You just can't. I mean, you can put noise on the boom boxes and play music or put crowd noise. It's just not the same. You'll you'll never create the environment that you get well, in, the, in the pressure of the moment. Yeah, well, I think what you can't recreate is like already, if you do reps of penalties, you're already not replicating it. Because yeah. the whole issue is you get one goal. Yeah. You can't have yeah. like a bad rep and then get the next one right. And then well, that's right. Yeah. Get like one goal. And I that's used it. to yeah. have conversations with strikers like Set yourself a limit on shooting reps because if you just stay out for an hour, yeah, you actually don't have consequence to missing. Give right. yourself 15 balls, and if it's 15 bad ones, then you know, yeah. fume about it till tomorrow when you get to go again. There's a there's yeah. a scarcity to penalty taking that's yeah. hard to simulate. Like get it wrong or you're done. Yeah. I mean, get it right or you're done. Yeah, there's even, you know, I'm sure you've seen it. There's even been studies done of the the taker, you know, how many seconds uh you know, is is too long to wait. You know, you stand, you wait, you take a deep breath. And I saw some study, I think between two and two and four seconds, if you if you wait and hit it in that time frame, it went down a certain um, you know, percentage point. It's like there was a certain number of a second to two seconds that you go, you should take a deep breath and then go hit it and you made it this percentage of time. But if you waited longer than it was, you know, it was less success. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It's, it's at the end of the day, I, I, I don't really know that there's an answer to it. I think there's players in big moments that, that do big things. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's kind of you know, the, like we said, the luck of the draw, how, how it plays yeah. out. I've heard the phrase, you can't practice tightrope walking on the floor. And I well, think penalty shootouts, especially the World Cup, yeah. you can't practice it. You yeah. can physically do the skill, yeah. yeah, but you can't, like you said, you can't simulate it. 
Yeah. Well, an interesting thing, if you go back and think about the world, this World Cup in particular, I'll, I'll be interested to see the technical report to see what they say about it. But early on, how many penalties were missed just in group play? There were a lot of missed penalties, you know, uh, in group play, more than I've ever seen. And I don't know why that is. Uh, like I said, I'll be interested in reading the report, what the speculation I mean, is. The, the England player, Stanway, she had a hell of a tournament because she yeah. she had a penalty saved against Haiti. She gets the retake. That's she right. A penalty given in another game. She puts it down, steps back, and then VAR takes the penalty off. That's right. She was involved in a shootout. So that was yeah. that was eventful. Yeah. You definitely can't simulate all that. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I think one thing that I was really impressed with, and I, I am an England fan, but one one thing I'm not having from England fans and soccer fans in general is, is you're not allowed to defend anymore. You know, if, if you don't let the other team win, you're parking the bus, you're being negative. You know, right. I think you put together an outstanding game plan on the defensive end, but at right. half time, Mary Earps had faced nine shots, and that's mm-hmm. more shots in a half than England had faced in all 36 games to that point under uh, Wiegman. So, like, yeah. not having it. Final right. whistle, England 12 shots, Nigeria 20. This whole yeah. sat in, and it's, it's nonsense. Um, right. How did you strike the balance between dulling the blade of a team that just won 6-1 and in World Cup qualifying, won all 10 games by a combined score of 80-0 and yeah. disarming every weapon they had, and still yeah. getting 20 shots off, you had your left back hit the bar, so there's no way even the back four was sat in. Yeah. What, what was that? How do you strike that balance? Well, I, I think a lot of it, Stuart, the, the, the credit, a lot of that credit I'll have to give to the players. I mean, because I do think, like I said earlier, we discussed, I think we had a good game plan in place, but a game plan is only as good as, you know, your players, and, and if they don't execute it um, – I think they really came into England really confident. I, I didn't, I didn't sense that it's oh no, it's the European champions. In fact, I really think what helped too was us deciding to be aggressive and go after them the way we did because it was almost like this team had been reined in a little bit to ensure we got out of the group, and they were ready to go. You know, they were ready to go open up and and go attack somebody and and play because that's kind of the Nigerian culture, you know, is, is, is flair and attacking football and. Yeah. Yeah. And, gotcha, baby. Yeah. That's, yeah. Exactly. The first, yeah. Uh, Nigerian footballer. And I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's, I think that it was almost like, yes, you know, we're, we're finally taking the reins off and we're going to go after them a little bit. Now I think the players all understood we knew what we had to do and why we did it to get out of the group. And so they bought into that game plan tremendously, but I think they were so eager to play in, in that England match. And then, like I said, I think the game plan Kyle and I put together was perfect for it. Um, and then I think, again, it goes to the players at that point. Once, once the whistle blows, they're the ones that executed the game plan to really to a T. Yeah. And I, I think just a phenomenal job. I mean, I know, coach of the tournament probably goes to the winning coach, blah, blah, blah. Um, But if you look at England, I know they had some injuries and fair enough, but you've won the European Championship. You've won your qualifying games 80-0. You've got St. George's Park, which is an unbelievable facility. I don't know the number, but the financial investment in England, the serenity around that English team who'd lost one game out of 38, and the kind of chaos that you were thrown into. Yeah. And it's nil-nil. And the coin toss of a penalty decides it. I mean, just phenomenal work, really. And 
you know, that all praise to you for that. But it also speaks to something else because there's a lot of people, and I say a lot of people, I'm in that lot of people. When they said they were expanding the number of teams in the World Cup and the USA had won a game, what was it, 13 nil the tournament prior? Yeah. And right. we were seeing, like, kind of like rugby league and rugby union, this isn't just a women's soccer thing. Yeah. College football starts tomorrow. You know what's coming. Mm-hmm. Big scores. Right. Right. Um, I don't know that it was a good idea and wrong because I think the figure was three of the top 10 went out in the group stage. You've got yeah. like the number whatever against number 40 and it's a razor thin. Like why over the course of what seems to me four years has the women's game accordion from the top and the bottom teams so drastically? Because it looks like it has. Yeah. No, you know, I, I think there's probably several factors for it. And, and some of the reasons I, I, I probably don't have an answer for, but I would say this being there firsthand and seeing the teams and being able to, to talk to some of the other coaches and staffs. And um, I think federations, more federations are now making more investment in the women's game. I think that's number one. Um I think I think the other thing that's probably helped is you know being able to get um, players on your roster that may not have been born in the country but have the heritage. You know, when you look at the Philippines, for example, you know how many U.S. players did they have on that you know on that roster? Uh, we've got some in Nigeria. You know, Ashley Plumter, right? Ashley Plumter from England. You know, we got Michelle. Happy Lose. to take happy to take her back on behalf of England. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's quite a good player, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but Michelle Alozi and Ifioma, uh, Anamanwu, the, the American, you know, Tony Payne was American born. Um, so I think that helps as well. You know, being in CONCACAF and, and knowing this region really well, um, that's really how Mexico built their team for many years back when that's Leo interesting. was a coach. Yeah. You know, you had a lot of Mexican Americans on that team uh, at the time. So I think that's helped as well. But for me, I think it really comes down. The biggest the biggest uh, thing that closes the gap <clears throat> is the investment. And um, I think you're just seeing more countries now make more of an investment into the women's game. I do think the coaching's better. I do think, you know, the players are getting better. You know, we, we now have more better players. We see that here all the time in the U.S. It's I mean, our player pool now is so much better than it was when, when – we won the world cup in 99, you know, I think it's just, we, there's, we just have more players to choose from. And, and I think that's, that's helped, but the biggest thing, we're not there yet on the women's side, the investment is still not there. There's still a lot of countries that aren't treating the, their, their women's teams, right. And doing the things that they need to do uh, properly. And uh, so that's happening still in too many nations. Uh, but, arguably the world champions. We're not getting into that, but yeah, no, no question. Don't need yes. to look far for those. Stuff. You don't have to exactly. You don't have to look past the champions. You're absolutely right. And uh, so obviously, there's got to be a lot that still changes on in the women's game. But I do think there, there from what I could gather, being there firsthand, there are more countries now putting more investment. It may not be what the U.S. or what England's putting into it, um, but there, there's there's more there's more investment now in that through and through and so i was really happy to see the expansion we didn't have we only had a couple of games that were maybe five you know five zero game we didn't have you know many of those so it was really good to see a lot of the 
first time teams and a lot of the up and coming uh, nations do so well. Yeah. Um, I got to, I want your take on something because I, you know, I won't put you on the spot. I'll tell you my opinion and I don't like it. So I think there's been a very negative reaction among largely youth coaches in America. And you see the same every time a men's cycle comes around that nobody in America is educated. Everyone just looks for big and strong. All the other nations don't care about strength and speed. Only America does. And that's why we're falling behind. Now, one reason I thought that's nonsense is I studied the England team a lot. And, you know, those people will be shocked to know how many of those England players are actually crediting their development and success to playing with boys. Make right. the, the inherent factor strength and speed, right? You play with the bigger, faster, stronger boys and you become a better right. player. Um, right. The Barcelona coach was talking about Paloela. Um, I've probably got that name wrong. Parallel, maybe the forward. And all yep. he was talking about is that she was a track and field athlete and that was right. what separated us all. I think yeah. but every every country has an awareness of the balance between physicality and technique. Um, yeah. My personal opinion is the USA failed and the reason i say failed is they lost a penalty shootout right it's not as dramatic as people are saying in terms of regression right but without naming names because i don't want this to become a gossip hot take podcast did they hold on to a generation of players one cycle too long because they won't be the first sports team to do that men's or women's and is there actually plenty of usa players who can get this done at this level that maybe we're not going to see them because we were holding on a little bit to some players. Is that yeah. the case? What's your take on it? Yeah, I, I would tell you my take. And 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 obviously, I've spent a lot of years around U.S. soccer, coaching the U23 national team and working in coaching education with them for a number of years. And, and um, I would say this, those people that say the U.S. is just big, strong, fast, and that's why we're falling behind. I think if you went back to 1991 when Anson's team won the, the World Cup, it probably was due to we were, you know, we were bigger, stronger, faster, and more athletic than everybody back in those days. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't buy into that today either. Do we have big, strong, fast, athletic players? Absolutely. England has athletic players. Nigeria has athletic players. There's a lot of countries now that every the women's game is just developing to a point where more athletic players are 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 coming coming through every pipeline, not just in the USA. I don't, I'm with you, Stuart. I don't buy into that. I don't buy into that. We don't have technical players that we don't have players that are good enough to play um, and simulate uh, similar ways to way Spain. You know, I saw a lot of the same uh, media that you did is like, well, you know, we don't have the players to, that can play and keep the ball like Spain do and, or any of the other top teams. And, And we have players that have talent. I do think, my personal opinion, I, I I would agree with you, not just because we're on this show together, but I would agree. I, I personally thought we kept some of the older players on a little bit too long. I think we've got a good, exciting pool of young players. Uh, I think we left a couple of players off the roster that probably could have been on. Now, yeah. I also want to put a disclaimer on this and say um, it's easy for me to sit here and say that. I'm not in that camp, you know, and see yeah, what's same for me. Yeah, it goes on in their camp every day because I can tell you before the World Cup, every media every media person and journalist in Nigeria was questioning my my worth as a coach. They were questioning my player selection. So this, it's what we do, right? As in athletics, we 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 sit back and 
I, I do it every Saturday morning when I'm watching Man United because that's my team. And I, I, I question why is this player playing and why is that player playing? But okay. I'm in it just like you are. We know we don't have all the answers because we're not in there. But my perception would be I, I think we had some young players that could have had a bigger impact in the World Cup for us. And I do think we have um, probably some players that weren't on the roster that could have been. And maybe we did hang on a bit too long uh, yeah. with that group. Um, but but we're not losing because we're falling behind. We're not losing because we don't have players that are technical enough. We have a great amount of, of – talent in, in in the u.s and i think we need uh we need a playing we, we need we need a coach that has a style that you know that better suits our players and uh i think you can put them into a, a more attacking system and i think we can keep the ball better and i think we can do things you know that we all we all saw for ourselves uh compared to the other teams but we have the capabilities of doing that and we have the players to do it. So it's just getting, getting things on track. I, I think it's interesting too, because all this, you know, after the U S uh, was knocked out um, and before I came back um, from Australia, you know, I'm seeing a lot of the media, same reports you're seeing, you know, here in the U S of, it's like the, the sky's falling and we, we're so far behind now and gosh, we've got to change everything. And it's interesting because when Germany, I, I was reading a little bit when I was in Australia with the German coach, after they were eliminated and didn't even make it out of the group, you know, she wasn't, her complaint wasn't what we hear in the U.S. They hear in the U.S. it was, oh, we've, we're falling behind, everybody's catching up, and we've got to do things different because of what everybody else is doing. She never once said anything about what the rest of the world was doing. She was very introspective of what was going on in the DFB, what was going on in, the, in their system, and saying these very specific areas we need to change to make sure we're we're back to where we are. And that's the way I see the U.S. I think there's some systematic things that 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 you know is for another show and another time. But I think there's some things that we have to do differently. It's not just with our senior team. I don't think we've been successful with our youth national teams either in quite a while. So I think there's there's some systematic things that needs to change yeah. uh, from the bottom up with our national teams and the way we're we're we're, we're yeah. doing things. But we have the players, so it's not to me. It's not like oh my gosh, since we got eliminated early, that means we're never going to get back and win a World Cup. I think we'll I bounce. Guess, just fine. I guess the worst thing I saw. And I see this on the men's side. I've seen two things, and it's it's insulting to an entire nation. And often your own nation goes, Bon Marty wouldn't have been even a power five if she was American. Mm. Yes, she would. Stop it. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, and yeah. Boots Getz wouldn't have made Notre Dame if he was an American. Like, yeah. yes, he would. Yeah. Stop it. Dax McCarthy yeah. played right. 400 pro games. It's just this, yeah. this extremism. Right. And it's, it's weird, quite frankly. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know where it comes from. Yeah, I, I don't know. Where, I can see this, and nobody else can. Yeah, I I don't know where it comes from either. Yeah, no, those those players would all have played, no question about it. Yeah. Um. Brief roundup: Pittsburgh Panthers, who I am now a very big fan of. Uh, on the women's side, I've got a lot of friends in the game. I follow Pitt. I follow Dartmouth, where I used to work. I follow Bates. Five and all start. Very very impressive. Um, yeah. you probably 
one of the biggest scalps on the scene. I'm sure opposition coaches are pretty excited to be playing against the World Cup coach. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Has this fall been any different after the exposure of the summer? Well, I think I think what's different for us at Pitt is, you know, we, we got back um, three key players from injury last year. You know, we got back our all-time leading scorer with Amanda West. And Chloe Minas is a U-20 Canadian national team kid that we got back from an injury. And, and Ashley Moon, a right back that we got back from an injury. So uh, I think the difference right now is um, – we're much deeper than we were last year when we, we, we broke into the tournament for the first time and made a, a, a relatively deep run, getting to the final round of 16. Um, and I think most of that team returned. Um, we added a few players. I think adding uh, one of my Nigerians has been a big help to us. Um, uh, she's off to a great start. Short scored uh, two, go- two really good goals last night uh, for us. And um you know, we've, we've picked up an Austrian international outside back. It's um, just got back from the Euros, the U19 Euros. And I think she's played seven or eight games with the full team in Austria. Um, and we've always got our Canadians. You know, we've always got a, 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 a few Canadians in our roster. So I like our team. I think it's deeper. Um, you know, obviously the ACC play hasn't started yet. So the jury's still out. We know how big of a grind that is, but I like where we are. I do think the girls were really excited, you know, when we got back from the world cup, I think they were, they were really excited. And I'll have to say our players have been great about um, my time with, uh, with the Nigerian team when I'm away, I couldn't have done this Stuart. I'd have to, I have to give a shout out to my son, Ben, because he's um, he runs the show here and he keeps the fort, you know, going and, um, uh, our minds obviously being my son we 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 know exactly what we want we know the the playing style we know what we're trying to achieve we know how we want to teach it um you know to our players so i probably would have never taken on the nigeria role had he not been here uh i don't know if i could have left you know pit to anybody else uh who may not know exactly you know my philosophies and how how we do things here so He's, I had to give him a big shout out and big credit because he kept the ball rolling and kept the team going. But when we got back, they were extremely excited. The thing I think it does for me, it helps bring back the experience at the international level to the collegiate level. That game internationally is so much more tactical. I mean, uh, college, you don't see teams making many adjustments. They kind of have a system and they play and they hope it works, you know, but the international level even during the matches, it's, it's a chess match, you know, that something's not working and they tweak the shape of this player or that player. And um, you have to really be on your toes at that level. So I think that really helps coming back here. It certainly helps in uh, international contacts for recruiting and that kind of thing. Like I said, it's, I bet it we does. Hope, we, we hope we've got a, <laughs> a, a, some new pipelines now coming in to pit over the next few years. Um uh, of international players. So it's been an exciting time. Um, a big weekend coming up, heading to Ohio to play Cincinnati and Xavier, two really good teams. So uh, we, we just hope we can keep it going. Now, that's my favorite part of the game in many senses, the tactical chess match aspect. Was yeah. there anything that happened in the World Cup, which an opposing coach did, and then you realized you did it and you were like, woof, here we go. This is a higher level. Well, I, I think I think the, the the one most obvious, and it was it was more not because of the way the game was going, but it was more due to the ejection, right? I think when England went down a player, 
uh, instead of three backs, they went to four and they they played, you know, they played more of a four, four, one and dropped into a lower block. So that, that tactical change is a change she made because she had to obviously losing the player, but that change to me really did of all of our games. That is the one change that probably affected us the most, because as I mentioned, we didn't handle that change very well. We didn't prepare for a man up advantage and we kept trying to play long and direct and counter like we did when they, they had 11 and that was the time we needed to, settle in, start to possess the ball and keep the ball, you know, and move them side to side a little bit and see if you could get around the corner and get some service in and that kind of thing. And we just didn't do a good job with it. So that's probably the biggest tactical change, even though she had to make that change, that affected any of the four games that we played. Each, each team seemed to make a little bit of an adjustment, you know, through throughout the match, um, the matches. Um, but I think we were able to cope with most of them pretty well. I think that one was probably the one that we didn't cope with. Yeah. Interesting. Randy, been a pleasure. Been Thank enjoyable. You. Been an education in many areas, and I hope people listening feel the same way. Thank you very much for joining us, and um, we will see you all next week. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it.